Will you stand with me, please? I want to read you two verses in the book of Revelation. And uh, whenever I say Revelation, you can always feel the crowd kind of go, ooh, you know, we're gonna, it's going to get really deep here today. Probably won't be real deep because I am from the D.L. Welch School of Prophecy. Old Brother Welch told me years ago, he said, Harold, I don't know a lot about prophecy, but I, I know as much as anybody else. <laughs> so uh, D.L. was telling me, my guess is as good as them next guys, and I guess mine is. But there are things in the book of Revelation that are not a guess. And uh, it says in verse 9, and we're close to the end of the book now. He said unto me, write, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto me, these are the true sayings of God. I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, see, thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of the prophecy. So my subject for you to consider today is simply entitled, Don't Bow Down to Your Brother. All right? If you have a good attitude, you can sit down. Deeply honored to have one of my oldest friends, Brother and Sister Mitchell from Columbus here, with Marvin and Anissa and their son, and their daughter, and Ryan, and my other girl, you know, who we loaned to Indiana. And, uh, Thank you. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ashley. I heard a song a couple of days ago that said, you can't make old friends. And uh, only time does that. And uh, I knew the Mitchells before I was married. And I, my anniversary was on the 24th of July and it was kind of cute I I talked to Renee the day before yesterday I said um, are you aware we just had an anniversary and she said I forgot and I said me too and so uh, boy was I glad she forgot <laughs> so, so nice to be married to a woman that's as forgetful as I am and uh, so uh, so I'm going to make it up with her, we're going to go away for a couple of days here. But uh, I, I've always found great faith in the fact that the Lord that we serve is a restorer. The, the old rhyme says, all the king's horses and all the king's men can't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Well, we're not talking about just any king here. We're talking about the king. Of kings, and uh, there's a. It's a really tough verse. It's in Amos chapter three, and it says, "As the shepherd taketh out of the mouth of the lion two legs, or a piece of an ear," and it's basically a very judgmental prophecy on Israel, basically saying, <clears throat> "By the time the Lord gets to you, there's not going to be much left." But there's a. There's a faith aspect of this verse that, that says that sometimes that's all he's got to work with. And as a pastor, I, I've seen that. I, I have seen families just obliterated sometimes and lives just gutted. And I didn't have any faith that anything good could ever come out of it. And it did. And so it's really good that I wasn't God. Because I would have given up on some of you. And uh, he didn't. And uh, uh, we lived by a lady one time. Uh, 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 and she, she had this dog. Just a tiny little dog. I think it was a poodle. Had that collar around its neck. And they had that invisible fence around the yard. She came over to the house just frantic one day. Harold, Harold, Harold. Help me, help me, help me. So I went, and as I'm going towards her house, I hear this unbelievable racket and commotion. 
just screeches and barks. Just crazy stuff. And I went in her backyard, and a coyote had come out of the woods and grabbed the poodle by the neck. Well, then that's where his little shock collar was. So when that coyote crossed that invisible fence, that collar is shocking him, and he's going, <laughs> and he doesn't want to let go of his meal. And, 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 and so it was just loud, and, I'm, and so I grabbed the poodle, and I pulled it out of the coyote's mouth, and he just took off running, you know, and, and it was so fun because for the next couple of weeks, that dog, she'd open up the door, and he would come out on the porch and go, and then he'd just go right back inside. He, I don't know if he ever went back in the yard, you know. So I got all four feet, tail, both ears. But uh, sometimes God's not so fortunate. And um, when, you, when, you, when you study the first sermon of Jesus in Luke chapter 4, he's uh, 30 years old. He's a young rabbi. He's publicly washed by John the Baptist. He uh, goes into the wilderness. says he went into the wilderness full of the Holy Ghost. So he didn't get any more Holy Ghost in the wilderness, but it says he returned in the power of the Spirit. As his custom was, it said he went to church there. On Sabbath day, there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, or Isaiah. And he started to read Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor and Opening of the prison to them that are bound. And it talks about bruises and all kinds of things. There's, I think there's seven things mentioned there. And interestingly enough, none of those were for Jesus. He was saying, I'm going to do this for somebody else. This is not for me. And he gets towards the end and it says, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he stops and he gives that that scroll back to the rabbi and he says this day this scripture is fulfilled in your ears and it doesn't make much sense unless you're a student of Isaiah 61 and Leviticus 25 because if you've been here for any length of time you know that I am a huge advocate of the seven days of creation and the seven feasts of Jehovah that are in Leviticus 23 but Leviticus 25 talks about something called the jubilee the Jubilee was a was every 50th year. It was an amazing, because basically Israel is an agricultural country. They're farmers. And when the land was parceled out in the book of Joshua, even to this day, that land is huge. And the Lord knew that every now and then somebody was going to do something stupid. And they were going to lose the family farm. But the truth is you never really lost it totally. Because at least once in your life, and to some they would see it twice, but at least once in your life you would experience this thing called Jubilee. Today, of course, August the 1st. It was an entire year of restoration, which meant every day of the year somebody was getting something back that they thought was gone. So it was Jubilee. It was just an entire year of worship and gratitude and favor. And it's also apparent that the first year of the ministry of Jesus was a Jubilee year in the land of Israel. But Jesus stuns them when he says, you're never going to have to wait 50 days or 50 years ever again. I'm Jubilee. I am the restorer. And it's just, that's his first message. The, the first sermon that Jesus preached wasn't about water baptism in his name or infilling of the Spirit. It was about freedom and deliverance. When you study the book of Exodus, Exodus has 40 chapters. But it can be divided into three very large segments. 1 through 19 is all about exit. Exodus, the deliverance, and 20 through 24 are, are, are the rules, the disciplines, the commandments. But starting in 25 through 40, all these chapters are dedicated to the tabernacle of Moses. 
So there's, there's, there's a concept here that first there's deliverance, and then there's discipline, and then there's church life. And we got to be careful we don't get those things confused. Because Pentecost sometimes is real quick on the trigger. And you want to make sure they learn all the rules. But you can't get a shower before you get a bath. Okay? The first thing that's got to happen is a deliverance. An exit. A jubilee. To where you start and get some faith and get something back that you thought you were never going to see again. Yes, there's disciplines involved in this, but... The big part of it is church life. Just getting involved in the work of God. And it's, it's so obvious here that he begins his ministry with this concept of, of restitution. Like when you read Exodus 22, if you stole somebody's ox, ox was kind of like a John Deere tractor. If you stole their ox, it's a big deal. You can't just give one ox back. You've got to give five back. If you stole a sheep, you couldn't give one sheep back. You had to give four sheep back. Remember when David, remember when Nathan confronted David about the rich man, went across the fence and stole his neighbor's one sheep. And, and David said, I will make him pay back four times. And if you study the life of David, he paid back four specific times. Because he swiped his pal's sheep. And it, it's, there's, there's this... It says if you stole money, you got to give twice as much money. Proverbs talks about seven times you have to restore something. And, but the difference is in the Old Testament, it was the thief that had to do the restoring. But in the New Testament, it's the one that was stolen from that's going to be doing the restoring. There's a great scripture in the book of Joel that says, I will restore unto you the years, the years that the locust hath eaten, the canker worm, the palmer worm, the grasshopper. To us, there's a lot of difference between, but, the, but if you do the homework, it's really four stages of the metamorphosis of the locust. And locusts just came this past year. You, I was driving 94 this past week, and there's all these maple trees, and the ends are all brown. It's, they've slit those things and laid their eggs there and just couple weeks those things will crawl out and go back down the ground for it's over 30 years how, how many when did, how many years huh 38 17 okay it's a long time and uh, it's just that these these things one of them eats bark one of them eats fruit one of them eats leaves one of them eats buds so when this thing had gone through its life cycle, it basically raped the trees. You've got no bark, you've got no buds, you've got no fruit, you've got no leaves. But none of them are root eaters. And there's a great scripture in the book of Job that says, There is hope of a tree, though the tender root thereof wax old in the earth, yet scent of water, it'll bud again. And people say, well, they had a bad bunch of locusts in Israel. No, no, no. It doesn't say, I'm going to give you back your orchards. It doesn't say, I'm going to give you back your trees. It said, I'm going to give you back the years. And it's a prophecy about the church. Because you have this amazing church in the book of Acts. It was, I think it was Peter. Peter said, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now, if you go to court... And you're an eyewitness, that's a big deal. We're not, it's not circumstantial here. I saw that. Peter's saying, I, I saw him in transfiguration. I, I saw him heal that, that, that. I saw that. But he said, we're going to die. And even Paul, he said, there will be people coming after us who will teach commandments of men like they were doctrines from God. And that's exactly what happened. What happened was the bugs got into the church. And they started eating stuff up. So they're baptizing babies and you don't want babies to drown. So let's not immerse, let's sprinkle. And so the baptism by immersion gets chewed up. And then the mighty God in Christ gets chewed up. And then the infilling of the Spirit is gone. 
Baptism in Jesus' name is gone. So when you come to what's called the Dark Ages, the political church at that time became the greatest book-burning institution in the history of the world. So you have a Catholic priest by the name of Luther who is teaching in one of their seminaries and he's teaching his students from the book of Romans. And he makes the connection. You're justified by faith, not by your bank account. Because the church was in trouble, they needed money. So they manufactured something called purgatory. It's not in the Bible, but it's a brilliant move. Because everybody goes to this halfway house called purgatory after you die. And depending on the balance in your checkbook, if you give this guy enough shekels, he'll do a mass for you and he will guarantee that I'll get your dead boy into heaven. Now, if you're just some poor, you know, Shlomo Glickstein, you just, you don't, you're not a big rabbi. This is, this is the spirit guy. You're going to empty your bank account to make sure your boy or your girl gets to go in heaven. So even today, it's the gross national product of the third largest country in the world. It's a brilliant move. It's a lie, but it's a, people come here all the time. Is this a Catholic church? Yeah, we're Catholic. And people think I'm lying. I'm not lying. The word Catholic means worldwide. I'm a part of a worldwide church. But I tell them, we're Jerusalem Catholic. We're not Roman Catholic. And I go, okay. <laughs> you know, I said, but you believe Pope Peter was the first pope? Yeah, I believe. I, I preach what the first pope preached. And I preach from a Catholic Bible several times since I've been here. It, Acts 2.38 is in a Catholic Bible. I remember Gloria. Where Gloria came. Gloria had the nicest car. I never had seen a woman with a full-length mink coat. And Gloria came right there with her full-length mink coat. Never been in an apostolic service before. We're praying. She's got her rosary in her pocket. So she sticks her hand in her pocket and she said later, she said, Holy Mary, Mother of God, blessed be the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. And she said her finger froze on the bead. She couldn't move, so she just kept saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And the power of God came on her and she threw up her arms and when she did, two things happened. Instantly, she was filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with tongues. Boom. And her rosary went, womb, 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 curse, splash, and went right in the baptistry. And we left it there for a couple of years. And uh, it's just, you know, and when we buried rosary, when we buried Gloria, Max, who never came to church, told me at her, at her casket, he said, I owe you an amazing debt. And I said, why? And he said, you never knew this, Pastor R, but Gloria was a degenerate gambler. And he said, we were blessed and had a lot of money, but she wasted giants. And he said, every month when we would write out the tithing check to this church, I would just smile. Because he said, Pastor, that tithing check was nothing compared to what she used to waste at the casinos. Because you saved me cabillions. And I'm so grateful for this church that I still got any money left. And it was like, well. Uh... <laughs> it's just, I have seen God do such amazing things through the years. And your faith, your faith rises. And the Bible said the glory of the latter house will be greater than that in the former you know, so you have Martin Luther. Martin Luther says, you're justified by faith. He was right. Okay? So he creates his own church called the, the Lutherans. And they were right. They built, but they built a fence around the revelation and said, if you're going to be saved, you've got to be a Lutheran. So then later on, you know, you got Calvin comes along. Calvin says, you've got popes and cardinals. There's no popes and cardinals in the Bible. Why don't you have presbyters? Uh, we, we, no, you're, 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 you're a heathen. So he starts his church and they call it the Presbyterian church. And then you got the Smith boys that come along and said, how come you're not baptized by immersion? So the Baptist church shows up. And then, of course, the Wesley boys show up and say, you have to have a method. You need to have A, B, C, D. So you get saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, that type of thing. So they create the Methodist church. And then you have the outpouring of the Spirit around the turn of the century. 
Then within the 30s, you have Dowie from Illinois. You ever heard of Zion, Illinois? You should go there. It's an amazing Zion. Dowie, there could be no pharmacies in, in Zion, Illinois. There could be no hospitals. There could be no doctors. It was you bring them to church and you pray for them. And he strongly believed in divine healing. So what's happening is, here's the church in the book of Acts. Here's the church in the dark ages. It doesn't resemble that. The bugs chewed it apart. But the prophecy was, I'm going to restore to you the years that the bugs ate. And so incrementally, we got back. Pastors and presbyters. We got water baptism by immersion. Infilling of the spirit. Divine healing. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. Pentecost is just as guilty as all them other heathens. Because we build a fence around Acts 2.38 and we say, we have the truth. But what you have to understand is the truth is not a doctrinal position. The truth is a person. Jesus said, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. And, you know, and if we're not careful, we're going to be in love with our doctrine and lose our love affair with our Savior. Because whether you like it or not, one God people killed Jesus. Just a thought. There's a lady followed the apostle one time and said, these are the men of the most high God. Whatever they say, you need to obey. He turned around, cast the devil out of her. She's doctrinally correct, but her spirit's wrong. You've got to worship him in spirit and truth. You've got to have them both. And I've gotten trouble saying this, but I, I'm still going to say it. I'd rather work with people who have bad doctrine but great attitudes than spirit-filled people who act like seven mother-in-laws moved in with them last week. And they just got a nasty attitude. It, it's just, you've got to have... Spirit is right attitude. Truth is right information. You've got to have them both. And it, it says... It's a golf clap, you know. <laughs> the Bible said as many as are led by the Spirit of God, the same are the sons of God. You never can put a dime in a meter in your walk with God and go, I like it right here. Okay? You, you, study, you study Israel. I mean, this is, this is crazy. But you can prove they had water at the Red Sea. They had water at the Jordan. Okay? It's just, you got, you got that water that came out of the rock. You got Merah. Okay? They come across the Red Sea. They go three days journey. They're, they're, they're thirsty. You know, Moses hits the rock. The water comes out of the rock. This is what it says in Corinthians 10. They drank of the rock that followed them. And that rock was Christ. Now water, it says, always, you know, takes the path of least resistance. But Corinthians 10 said they had a river that followed them. You know, you know you, you've got this cloud. It gives you shade by day. It gives you heat by night. It's beautiful. You've got this manna on the ground. I mean, it's 42 camps in 40 years. Why? They got, they got no septic tanks. You read, read number. We have a book in the Bible called Numbers. And that's exactly, it's Numbers. And if you study the first chapter of the book of Numbers, it numbers all of the men over the age of 20, 20 to 50, who are capable of going to war. And it says there's 603,550. Okay? We don't know how many men there were under the age of 20 or over the age of 50. We have no idea how many women were there and the Levite, the tribe of Levite isn't even numbered. So you're easily talking 2 million people here. You're talking about Houston, Texas. It's a big deal. You get that many people camping out at one place too long. It's, it's, it's what's that Woodstock in New York? You ever read about Woodstock, that rock and roll thing they had back in the 60s? It's just, it, they all had to leave. Why? It stunk. Mud, goo, all it just, the natural body takes things in and things go out every day, okay? And it doesn't ever smell real good, all right? 
This is called the body of Christ. There are things that are going to come in. There are things that are going to go out. And if you hang on to things too long that are supposed to leave, you'll get cancer and die. All right. I have a good friend that lives somewhere between the North Pole and the South Pole. And he was so fretting over some people that had left. And God told him, I let him go a long time ago. You just been hanging on. That's why you're having such grief. There's just some things need to go. All right. You got to move. All right. I know Renee, you know, it's camp number 32. All right. Clouds moving. Get the ark. Let's go. God's rising. Let's go. Renee said, no, 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 no. We just, the male just found us. I've been in a, mem- a minister in the United Pentecostal Church since I was 20 years old. I am 64. They just found me. <laughs> Honest to goodness. They just got my mail right last month. They've, they've been chasing me for 40 plus years. I just, they just figured it out. It's like Renee saying, I'm not leaving. Kid just got the kids in school. Mailman knows where we live. This is a nice spot. Baby, we got to go. No. So, okay. Mom ain't happy. We'll stay. Here's the problem. That night, kids say, Daddy, it's cold. Where's the sleeping bags? We didn't need sleeping bags ever. All of a sudden, you get up the next morning. There's no manna. The riverbed's dry. All of a sudden, it's hotter than you ever remember. Listen to me. The presence of God contains the provisions of God. You stay under the cloud, you get the stuff. If you stay too long at one place, there's one thing I can tell you about God. In, and in the beginning, God created the heaven and earth and the spirit of God moved. All right. There's two things I can tell you about God. He'll never be surprised. And he's always moving somewhere. And we got to move. If you want to be a son or a daughter of God, you have to be led by the spirit. You can't just say, I like it here. After a while, all you're going to see is smoke and taillights. Church is going to go on. That's why you can't afford the the luxury of staying in your comfort zone. Everything that God builds grows. Boy, I'm way off of where I'm supposed to be here right now. Listen, you know, tabernacle of, of Moses. Okay. It's got a holy of holies. Ten cubits by ten cubits by ten cubits. But I found this verse. Here's 1 Kings 6 and 20. And the oracle in the forepart was 20 cubits in length, 20 cubits in breadth, 20 cubits in height. This is the Holy of Holies in Solomon's temple. It's, it's 20 cubits wide, 20 cubits deep, 20 cubits high. So I was speaking at a conference in Chicago and I said, see there, it's twice as big. And this lady came up to me after service. She said, Pastor, I'm, I'm not trying to be a know-it-all, but I, I teach math. It's not twice as big. It's, she said, it's eight times. And I said, yes. See that? That one right there could be 10 by 10 by 10. But if, you, if you're going to have 20, you've got to have four now. You've got to have 20 that way, 20 that way, and 20 that way. The Holy of Holies in Solomon's temple was eight times bigger than the Holy of Holies in Moses' tabernacle. Thus you get this verse, the glory of the latter house It's going to be greater than the former. And what, and that's, that, 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 not only was that a reality with the tabernacle, but it's a prophecy to the church because Acts 2 is, that's, that's our ancestors. That's the former church. But the glory of the church today is going to exceed the church in the book of Acts. If you don't believe that, go right through that door. And there's a picture out there of 600,000 people in church in Ethiopia. And over 100,000 of them got the Holy Ghost in one day. And you say, well, how do you know they got 100? Because they have the book of life in Ethiopia. And when you get the Holy Ghost in Ethiopia, they want to know what your name is. They want to know what your dad's name is, your mom's name. They want to know what her par- their parents were and her parents. They got this whole family tree down. It's, they're just not flying by the seat of their pants. That's bigger than anything that's in the Bible. I'm doing something today greater than Jesus ever did. He said, greater things than these shall you do. Jesus never preached in Michigan. I'm preaching in Michigan right now. Jesus never preached here. 
I can give you example after example after example. I am con- There's always been a debate. You know, when the Lord comes back, will he find faith? Love of many is going to wax cold. And then you have the other side that says glory of the latter house is going to be greater than that of the former. And he says, you're going to have to choose because this is not across the board just because you're apostolic. This is about hunger. This is about desire. This is about the lost. This is about seeing something. People that you don't have names for and faces for and believing that if this is old God's God, God's in trouble. I, I know pastors. I know pastors that are so myopic and short-sighted. It's like if you don't go to our church, you can't be saved. That's like sitting in a bathtub, pouring a box of Morton salt and saying, here's the Atlantic Ocean. Are you that stupid? Are you that small-minded that you believe this is all God's gut? Oh, man, you need to go with me to Bangladesh. You need to go with me to China. You need to go with me over the Orient. I never saw people in mass till I ended up in Tokyo and I ended up in Seoul, Korea. And I went into China. It's like, whoa, you got brothers and sisters on the other side of this planet. You can't even pronounce their name. We're going to have a reunion day one day. You want to be there. Oh, baby, it is going to be amazing. Look, look at Samson. You know what fascinates me about Samson? There's no mention in the Bible of his muscles. It's very possible Samson didn't look like Schwarzenegger. He could have been just a schlub like me. But when the anointing came on him, boom. Samson was so ignorant that he's sitting in Delilah's barbershop and he said, okay, the worst thing that could ever happen to me if I lost my covenant with my God is I'd be just like everybody else. Hey, dummy, everybody else ain't blind. Everybody else didn't have their eyes plucked out. Everybody else ain't grinding and going around circles all day long. And all of a sudden his hair starts growing. He said, oh God, if you could just restore me one more time. And the Bible said he did more at the end than he did his whole life before. Look at Job and all them oxen and camels and all that stuff. Look at Job and compare it at the end in Job 42. It's just, I remember saying, okay, he had seven boys and three girls and, and they died. And they had whatever, so many thousand oxen and so many thousand sheep. But you get to the end, he's got twice as many sheep and twice as many cows and twice as many of this. But he's got 10 kids. And I never could understand that. And one day, Greg Vandewater came up to me and he said, no, you got it wrong, Brother Hoffman. He's got 20 kids. And I said, what do you mean? He's got, he said, he's got 10 there. He's got 10 here. He didn't lose any kids. I'm daring my daddy here today. All right? <laughs> we lost him. You haven't lost nothing if you know where they are. God doubled everything that Job had. And it's just, you, you, you take this concept through the scripture and it gets fascinating. Let, let, me, let me go fast. Let's talk about the first murder in the Bible. Fratricide. One brother jealously killing another. So it doesn't surprise me when Jesus began his ministry, he chose not one, but two sets of brothers. Andrew and Peter, James and John. They got a name for these guys. Bonerges, sons of thunder, probably talking about the zeal. And it was this zeal that put a big old bullseye on their spirit and got them in such trouble. Because when you study the book of Acts, two times, I don't have time to go through this. The book of Acts fascinates me. But there's two times in the book of Acts, there's sets of threes. And when, like you got Acts chapter uh, 8, You've got the Ethiopian eunuch. That is a massive conversion. Acts chapter 9, the next chapter is, of course, Saul. Acts chapter 10 is Cornelius. These three guys are major players in the original church. And it's just, these folks aren't leaving because they're upset at me. They're going to minister in another church. So we love you, and we wish you the very best. God bless you. Jesus' name. And, 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 and so, it's, it's, it's Acts 1 and 8. You know, somebody, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, other parts. This is what's going on here. And the church is, it said he added to the church daily. Then it said the number of disciples was multiplied. 
And then the 5,000 priests believed, and they lost the count. It's just, it's just boom, 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 boom. It's exponential, and it's growing at such a rapid rate. So here's Acts 10. Peter takes a posse, takes six of his pals with him down to Cornelius' house. And, and, and right while he's teaching, they get the Holy Ghost. Wham! And, 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 and there's two ways to look at this question when he said, can any man forbid water? It's very possible that Pete's looking at his pals and saying, you guys need to think up something quick. Because if you don't come up with a really good answer, I'm going to have to baptize these Gentile dogs and I'm going to get in real trouble with the district board. And they can't come up with a reason. They baptize them. Acts 11, even though Peter's a big deal, he's submitted to these unknown elder, unnamed elders in the Jerusalem church. And they're raking him across the coals. Why did you go down to that dog's house? And he said, hey, these people received the like same precious gift as we who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Right away he said they purified their heart by faith. What he meant was they repented, heard the word, got the Holy Ghost, then I baptized them. You can get the Holy Ghost, amen, amen, without, without being baptized. You will not get the Holy Ghost without repenting. They purified their heart by faith, they got the Holy Ghost, then they get baptized. So he's giving them the play by play in Acts 11. The church is exploding. Acts 15, just right down the road, is going to be a massive. It's the first fight in the New Testament church because there's all these Gentiles coming into this Jewish church and they are seriously bent out of shape. You know, somebody's taking their parking spot and somebody's sitting in their pew and their color's not exactly what I want. And it, it is just, can't you see it, man? It's like being in the hood, man. And all, and all of a sudden, this kid's coming to church and is. <laughs> When he's praising Jesus, pulling his car right into that pastor's parking lot. And coming in, it's just, they're, they're upset. And if it, but this is Acts 11. So now we come to Acts 12. Watch, watch what it says in Acts 12. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex, not just anybody, certain. There were specific people he was after. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. Now, there's four Herods in the Bible. You've got Herod Antipas, Herod the Great, Herod Agrippa I, Herod Agrippa II. Let me show you how dumb these hillbillies are. Antipas is the guy that, 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 that cut off John the Baptist's head. Okay? You've you got, you got another one who kills all the male children under the age of two and presided over the trial of Jesus himself. You've got Herod Agrippa I, which is the guy in Acts 12 who kills John's brother James. And then you've got Herod Agrippa II, who, would have let, who, could have, who had the power to release Paul. But he wanted Paul to give him a bribe and Paul wouldn't do it. And the best you can get out of these four hillbillies is one finally said, you almost persuaded me to be a Christian. These guys had access to John the Baptist, Jesus, James, and the Apostle Paul. And none of them are in the church. Craziness. You ever heard about that, that, the demoniac of Gadara? Matthew 8, Mark 5, Luke 8. It's in three Gospels. Okay, everybody talks about the demoniac. But if you study Matthew, it said there were two that met him out of the tombs, not one. Two guys hear the same Jesus, hear the same sermon. One gets delivered and the other stays damned and doomed. I see that in church. People hear the very same music. They hear the very same word around the very same altar. Some get spared and some of them can't wait to beat the Baptist to the cafeteria. And it's just, it, 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 there's a dynamic going on here, ladies and gentlemen. And, 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 and it, it, it's just, when, 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 when James, you know, this, 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 this Herod is under huge pressure, probably from the Pharisees and their firebrand leader by the name of Saul of Tarsus. Because if you read Paul or Saul's grief, he said, I, I killed people. It's very possible he played a role in the death of James. When Stephen was stoned in Acts 7, that was a body blow to the church. But this is one of the original 12. Very certain person. 
Really, he's one of the three. Because whenever you read the list of the apostles in the New Testament, it always is Peter, James, John. When James is killed, I mean, these people have been beaten, they've been in jail, they've been in prison, but when James, it infers Herod did it himself. He didn't delegate it. He literally killed James with the sword. And I, I, it's, I've had a very emotional week, and, but I've been trying to put myself in the shoes of John when he realized the other half of the thunderclap was gone. My brother's dead. If you're a student of the word, it will come as no surprise to you that people were always trying to catch Jesus somehow. And in Matthew 22, they're, 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 they got a coin, you know, who are we supposed to pay tribute to? Jesus being the... He said, you give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, and you give God what belongs to him. Translation, pay your taxes. I've been all over the world. This is still the greatest country in the world. Pay your taxes. I don't care if they waste it. That's on them. You give to them what they say. Just do it. Then it goes on and says, that same day that the Pharisees came, in verse 23, it said the Sadducees came, and it's very specific. It said they didn't believe there was any resurrection. So they're giving him this story about this, this woman, much married woman, and, and in the rapture, whose wife is she going to be? And Jesus said something very revelatory when he's talking to them. He said, I'm going to make you like angels. I'm going to make you like angels. And so I, I'm reading Revelation and I've always loved Revelation for, it, it was such a powerful thing. The Mitchells are here. That This was going on in our spirit at the same time. It's just seven no mores in the book of Revelation. Six of them make perfect sense, especially this week to me, because it says, God will wipe away all their tears. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more crying. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more curse. There'll be no night there. But then in Revelation 21 and verse 1, he says, there'll be no more sea. All the others made perfect sense to me, and I didn't get that. And I realized John is on an island called Patmos. It's the Alcatraz of his day. You don't need dogs and guns, and you just you can't leave because of the currents of the Mediterranean. You just drown. It's like San Francisco Bay. It, it's, it's just. And he gets down to the edge of the water, and he gets as close physically to his brothers and sisters in Christ, which is the church in Ephesus. Trying. All of a sudden, there's this voice. I'm Alpha. I'm Omega. I'm the beginning. I'm the end. I'm the first. I'm the, he said, I turned around and he said, He was like the Son of Man. He said, I knew it was Jesus, but I hadn't seen him do that for over 50. I was on that mountain and I saw him briefly do it, but whoa, I knew it was him, but man, you should have seen him. He is shy. He said, I fall down on my face like I am dead. And, and it, it's, it's fear not. <laughs> there's only two storms in the New Testament. And it, there's only two storms they're in. Read, read the story of it. He, he says, number one, don't be afraid. Number two, it's me. Okay. So if I'm preaching to somebody and you're in a storm and you hear anything other than that, you're listening to the wrong voice. The word says, if you're in a storm, don't be afraid. I'm with you. All right. It's just, I got a friend, his wife's in trouble in Florida right now. And we've been talking back and back and forth. And I said, I said, listen to me. I, I said, you're indestructible until God's done with you. And when God's done, it's over. But I really don't feel my heart. The Lord's done with your wife. And we began to pray. And I'm grateful for that hope 
that, 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 that lives inside of our spirit. And so you go through the book of Revelation and there's all these encounters that John has with these beings and these angels. And it's amazing. And you get towards the end of the book in chapter 19. And he said, all of a sudden, there's a voice that came out from the throne. And it said, listen, this this is the true saying, the true saying, blessed are they that get invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so when this being speaks, John falls on his face. Damn. And that, that angel says, no, 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 no. Get up. Get up. Don't, don't worship me. And then he says, I'm thy brethren. The other translations say, it's me, John. It's your brother. James, he made me like an angel. Don't fall down and worship me. You make sure you worship the one sitting on the throne. So I got this precious daddy who's lost all this weight on and on, sitting there around the bed with him Monday. And the scripture keeps going out through my heart. And Enoch was not for God took him. And I saw that happen. I saw my dad just go, it was gone. Presence of God filled the room. <laughs> I'm crying. My wife's crying. My mother's with me. Draylen will sing it in just a little while. If you could see me now, I'm standing. Tall and strong. If you could see me now. Dead or dead and know nothing about what's going on here. But they know everything about what's going on there. My daddy just met Vicky. (laughs) My sister that died when she was seven. I'm going to see him again. And he's not going to be this shriveled old man. It's like, it's me, It's your daddy. I know you thought I was an angel or maybe something else, but it's really me. Ladies and gentlemen, if I'm preaching to somebody here and you have a loved one that's gone on that served God, you want to see him again? Serve the Lord with faithfulness. Because there's going to be a great getting up morning one day. And we are going to have an amazing time. I just, the, the body of Christ, it's, it, just take out heaven. I just saw the outpouring of love and compassion and kindness to our family in these last couple of weeks. It's just proven to me all over again the power of the church. There are just so many benefits to serving the Lord. And it said, we sorrow not as others who have no hope. We do sorrow but it's not hopeless sorrow. I'll miss him, okay? But he's okay. Well, I'm sorry sorry you lost your dad. I didn't lose my dad. I know exactly where my dad is, okay? My dad did it right. I was in Australia for a long time. They got a saying in Australia, you can't take anything with you. All you're gonna leave behind is your story. Just make sure you live a good one. And my dad left us a great story. And it's all of these encounters and things that have happened. I'll tell some here at this service, but I can't possibly cram them all into this. You're going to hear great stories and great things this afternoon. But it's like, oh, whatever you do, serve the Lord with gladness of heart. And be faithful in Jesus' name. Stand with me. Stand with me. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Come, come, we, you know, we don't have another service for a while. Just come with me around the altar. I, I, I won't embarrass you. I, I, won't, I won't say anything untoward right now. Oh, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, you know and I know that I'm about the most common man there's ever been and I don't have any power of my own. 
Anything that I have comes from you. I'm asking you, Lord, right now. You said you turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. And that man in such trouble ministered to someone else. And not only did you heal his friends, but you healed him as well. And I'm bleeding inside right now, Lord, but I'm trying to minister through my pain to this congregation here right now. If there's anything good in me at all, take it out of me right now and transpose it from my person to these men and women here right now. Let the peace of God that passes understanding keep your heart and your mind right now. Lord Jesus, you got a lost son, a wayward girl. I'm asking you, Lord, to put fresh faith in their spirit that it's going to be okay. Amen. That prodigal son, his dad said, kill the fatted calf. And then I read it one time that said, kill the fatted calf, which means he, the servants knew exactly which cow he was talking about. So when the boy left, instead of dad losing all of his faith, he said, let's feed that cow. There are a lot of groceries because my boy's coming home. And when he does, we're going to have a picnic and we're going to go to Kroger's to get the T-bones. And if you're dealing with someone in your family right now, and your heart is broken. Just, just keep feeding the calf. Okay. Just continue to to worship and pray an intercessory prayer. Listen, God's a lot bigger than one locale and one spot of GPS coordinates. I promise you this God we serve is omnipresent. Amen. From the right to the left, from the top to the bottom, from the back to the front, that he spans all three time space dimensions concurrently at one time. He's presently in the past, presently in the present, presently in the future. He is the I am. He just am. Okay. He is in an eternally present condition. Amen. Let's pray right now. Lord Jesus, don't pray for yourself. Pray for somebody else right now, okay? That's the highest prayer. Lord, on your cross, you didn't pray for yourself. You didn't pray for your wounds to be healed. You didn't pray, God, for the hole in your side, the holes in your hands and your ankles, all those ripped stripes in your back. I find no prayer on the cross of you praying for anybody else. Amen. Amen. You didn't pray for yourself. It was, I've come to preach the gospel to somebody else. I've come to heal somebody else's bruise. I've come to open up somebody else's prison. And yet, Lord, while you ministering through your pain were ultimately healed and resurrected to great power and glory. And I'm asking you, Lord, to take stinginess and myopia and a self-centeredness out of the church for we live for others. I'm asking you, God, right now, whoever's in this room right now, if their body is ill, I'm asking you to do a mass healing from the left to the right. Your word says, by your stripes, we are healed. If I'm speaking to Sunday, Lord, and their family and their marriage is under attack, I'm asking you, Lord, right now to bring mending and repair to that home and put a bond, put a bond, put a, put a bond in that house again. Oh, Jesus, Lord, I'm preaching to somebody full of fear and anxiety. Your word says perfect love, cast out fear. And I'm asking you, Lord, not the love for God, but the love of God to be available in this room here right now. Flow through us, amen. And let people in this room feel something great and magnificent and magnanimous and powerful to build fresh faith in their spirit. Lord, they came to where you were. It said they presented their gifts. They worshiped you and they went home a different way. We have come here praying, worshiping, preaching, I want people to go home different today. I do not want people to go home the same way they came here at 11.30. I want us to go home different, Lord. In Jesus' name. These amazing people behind me are gonna sing. We're inviting you to sing with them. Let the whole church be the choir today. Don't just watch these people. Amen, just, don't just observe this. Sing with them. Amen. And let an anthem come out of this room. In Jesus' name. And let's believe.